So um, male identity is a very interesting subject. Okay. And uh, if you want to broach that safely, um, I, I'm more than happy to to ha- have a have a look at that that area because a lot of lads are coming to me and ladettes are coming to me and saying, David, I don't know where I fit. And uh, a lot of our young people with social media, especially, are uh, uh, really not knowing where they fit because of of what's portrayed out there. And so it, it's a very interesting area. It's a very powerful area. And I believe that as humans, we evolve, not but we evolve mentally, emotionally, spiritually, culturally. And this evolution has been a very quick process in the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit of a lag time for a lot of, especially a lot of older lads who are really you know, providing and protecting and procreate. Although there are, there are resources and there are needs, and we can provide resources, although we also have to meet needs. And there's, there's, there's at least seven kinds of needs that are necessary to meet. So I'm happy. That, that's kind of an area that, that, that we get asked a lot about, and I see a lot of clients in that area so it's up to you i'll let you run the show i'll just answer questions i'm really good at that so identity is in you know where do we fit how do men fit yeah. in the world since yeah. we're not- how do we how do we fit and not not in a in politically correct way i'm not like that i'm about i'm about adaption right but yeah this it, roles are changing and yes i see for a lot of guys is like well yes well wait Used to it was really clear cut. It was really, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's not now. It, it's it, it's not. And if you don't adapt, one of my sayings is, if you don't adapt, you become extinct. And extinction in relationship, because as I said, I'm an intimate partner profiler. So extinction in relationship, intimate relationship, which is different to other relationships. It's different to attachment. It has a different kind of coding. So is is really necessary otherwise we keep going out with the same person with a different face as my coach david snyder says dr david snyder so in reality adaption is really the key to survival and we're talking about emotional adaption here. and how do we adapt emotionally that is the question that i could ask david how do i level up how do i make that leap from from you know going out working on the mines and doors you know going to bunning I don't know if you got Bunnings over there. That's, you know, Never heard of the hard, uh, hardware stores, right? Really big one, okay. big chain. Yeah. So like that. Anyway, I'll let you uh, ask. Here's the million dollar question. How do men like us reach our full potential, grow into the men we dream of being while taking care of our responsibilities, working, being good husbands, fathers, and still take care of ourselves? Well, that's the big question. In this podcast, we'll help you answer those questions and more. My name is Brent, and welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast. Welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for all things man, husband, and father. Big shout out to Fallible Nation, our private community. You guys make these all possible, and a warm welcome to our first-time listeners. Thank you for taking the time to join us today and give us a chance. My name is Brent, and today my special guest is David Milan, the behaviorist all the way from Perth, Australia. David, welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast. Thank you, Brent. It's wonderful to be here. David, I appreciate the time difference. I know you're up early, so thank you for taking the time to film with us. Uh, it's always fun to coordinate with you guys over across the pond and figure that timing out to record good shows. David, we'd like to start pretty light here. So we have the silly trivia question of the show. Okay? So... Okay. What animal has the longest tongue in relation to its body length? Is it A, an anteater, B, a chameleon, C, a sun bear, or D, a hummingbird? Hmm. I'll go the hummingbird. All right. Now you guys know the rules. Play along with us wherever you're listening, in the car or at home or whatever you're listening to us on. Don't cheat. Don't go ahead and look it up. Just wait for the end of the show. 
Now, David, I don't do big introductions. So in your own words today, who is David Milan? Who is David Milan? That's an excellent question. Uh, it's an identity. That's really my identity. And that's come from a long history, uh, starting maybe even before the womb uh, in my epigenetics and going all the way through to the person I am today as I build that identity from original encoding, which is my early life stuff, all the way through my adolescent encoding, which is my, well, interesting stuff. And now it's my adult identity. So David Milan is someone who is very passionate about helping men and, and, and ladies, anybody, realize their true potential, understand how we got here, how we actually came to be who we are, and of course, make the changes, more make the changes that they want to make that are perfectly right for them. So that's who David Milan is, this, this person that has gone through a lot. I have some rules in life. One of my rules is if I haven't done it, I don't teach it. So it's all about, for me, David Milan is that person who is here to yeah, share the knowledge around the world of the things that, uh, that help us make that emotional evolution, that jump into being the perfect person that we want to be, not only for ourselves, but for our partner. We have to look after number one first, a bit like putting on the oxygen mask in the plane, although this one's not going down. Some guys say to me, hey, Dave, I'm you know, arranging deck chairs on the Titanic while my partner's rowing away in a life raft. Well, let's, let's change that. Let's not make that happen. Let's level up together. Let's work together. And let's get along together and have empathy and compassion for each other. So David Milan is passionate about that. Well, that's me. That's right. it, Brent. That's that's my introduction. Fair enough. Fair enough. I love it. I love listening to people to introduce themselves because I just don't feel like you can sum up somebody reading their accolades. Uh, I get to research all my guests before the show and it's like, yeah, but that doesn't really tell our audience who they are. Mm. Right. Everybody wants to put their accolades right. and their best foot forward on their profiles. And mm, yeah. David, if you could have a conversation with anybody in history, past, present, who would it be and why? I think I would love to have a conversation with Mahatma Gandhi because he was able to be what we would call non-reactive. Uh, when we train, we talk about non-reactive behavior. But he was truly non-reactive. I mean, even when there was such violence and distress around him, uh, in an occupation of a country, he was able to be empowered and, and, and emanate that, that strength, but at the same time be non-violent, at the same time be able to be, be truly who he was and that, 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 that energy that emanates from him. And his wisdom was absolutely incredible. I mean, he used to he used to wear a loincloth, or, or we, this is called a dhoti in India. He'd wear a dhoti just like everybody else, you know. He'd be bare chested and he'd be spinning on a, on a spinning wheel, clothing. So he really lived what he said. You know, when he said he said, "Don't eat sugar," to to a lad who was like five or six years old, he spent three months not eating sugar. So that's someone I'd really love to to. You know, to, to understand, to really get to know how you go from just saying it to doing it and doing it in a way that projects that aura of confidence, that projects that, 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 that energy of strength. But at the same time, strength doesn't mean aggression. Strength means being able to be true to oneself and stick by one's convictions without doing things that impose on other people's liberties and freedoms. So I'd love to talk to Mahatma Gandhi and have a great conversation around some chai tea, uh, straight off, off the, straight out of the, the, the bucket there. What's your thought, Brent, about that? <laughs> I know, I like it. I like it. I, you know, it's actually become one of my favorite questions to ask people just because, A, it's always an interesting answer. And B, it just, it helps you connect with those people. Oh, okay. You know, that, that helps you see where someone's coming from and uh, some of what they value. And I love that question for that reason. I, I had to start asking people, it's like, okay, 
other than Jesus. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Though. Right. Yeah, well, it, it is a great answer, but there's so many people that are just like, I feel like I have to say Jesus, right? Uh, oh, you got to get it. So, David, what is a talent you have that someone might think is silly? Well, that's, that's a really, really hard one. I, I've never thought about that. Um, a talent that I have that someone might think is silly. Well, I don't know. You've stumped me. Uh, I've been called silly a few times. In fact, I've been called a lot of things a few times, although it hasn't been related to my talent. Usually it's related to, to my language or conversation when I get it incorrect. So perhaps uh, a talent that, that is silly is, uh, I don't know. I, 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 that's a good question. I can't answer that question. <laughs> I don't think any of my talents are silly. <laughs> Uh, so I'd have to I have to go through my list of talents. So if you've got a couple of hours, we'll just we'll do that. Or not? <laughs> just, just tuck that away in, in the way in the back of the mind. You know. Oh well, that's a good one. That's actually stumped me. And the first person that stumped me um, in a long, long time. Well done, thank you. <laughs> what purchase, hundred dollars or less, did you make in the last year that's had the biggest impact on your life? Hundred dollars or less. I would have to say uh, a very small coffee machine. Yeah. Very small. Yeah. Yeah. One of those coffee plungery things. Okay. It's made a big impact in my life because I've been able to utilize it. And, okay. uh, uh, you know, something that I can utilize. I, I love things I can actually use. And my wife, Deborah, is, is, is always thinking about, you know, how to make life easier. And one of those little plungery things was really useful um, for, I like for this. my life. It's, it's made a big difference. Oh, French presses are nice. That's what you're talking about, I yes. think. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Yes, yes. Putting labels to names in the morning sometimes a bit difficult. Yeah. No worries. No worries. Sarah and I are both very big coffee people, and we love our French press. And I think we probably have five different ways to make coffee in the house on average. Uh, everything <laughs> from those little A-cup things to... yeah. I had a guest actually send me it's this tiny little looks, looks like a camping pot. Oh, but, is that the heating ones? Yeah, it, no, it's a it, you got to put it on the stove. It's a percolator, but like it's yeah. a small percolator that does maybe a, a cup of coffee. But it makes a right. really the way it's designed is it makes a really like you're supposed to water it down. You you pour it into milk like espresso shots. Yep, yep, yep. Um. And it's like, oh, okay, because, but he makes all his with milk. It's something he learned uh, in Ireland or somewhere. He, he has a place. Okay. Sarah just corrected me. Sorry. It's a Spanish oh. coffee kind of thing that he learned oh. over there. Uh, and he's very passionate about. So he's like, oh, I want to send you, since you like coffee, I want to send you. Like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> send me nothing, but thank you. Uh, so we tried that out. It's a very different kind of coffee, but it's pretty good. But I mean, we've we've also made like Turkish coffee around the house where we just boil it on the yeah. stove with a bunch of grounds in it yeah. and ladle it out. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. We yeah, we have a very similar coffee history. And in fact, I have it right here in my cup, well, glass. And uh, yeah, look, it, it, it keeps my heart beating. Literally, keeps my heart beating. I don't know if I can claim it literally does, but uh, I'm sure well, yeah. at this point. I, I'm my wife likes to joke about being caffeinated for everybody else's protection. I drink, <laughs> I drink coffee because I'm it makes me nicer to everybody else. So Wow, that that's another that's another <laughs> that's another quality of coffee that I hadn't thought. I mean, I'm pretty ADHD technically for real. So, mm -hmm. you know, this stuff oh, does yeah, it does speed yeah. me up or slow me down. I I actually had a one of the jobs I had, I worked the night shift lead and I would come in and the guy I was taking over from who ran swing shift before me, he, I'd be like, Hey, you want to, you know, do the handoff conversation we have? He's like, go get your coffee first. It's going to be a long night. Just go get your coffee first. We'll, we'll talk while you get coffee. That's it. That's it. Great okay, conversation then. starter too. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. I'm having a sip. David, what are you most proud of? 
proud of. Mm-hmm. Uh, my 26-year relationship with my partner. That, that's that been an interesting journey, and I'm very proud of the fact that, yeah, we've managed to work a lot of things out. Congratulations. And I would have to say that, yeah. it's Our anniversary is actually yesterday. Wow. Normally, yeah, normally don't celebrate. We haven't, honestly. I think we celebrated one. Oh, in all that, the that's years the cause we've been together. So now it's two. So yeah. we went out yesterday for lunch. And it's like, wow, this is cool. We're celebrating anniversary. This is amazing. And it was really nice. So thank you. It's very important. Yep. Sarah and I just celebrated our 23rd anniversary uh, and back in cool. April. And that I, I'm likely to forget birthdays and holidays, but my mm-hmm. anniversary is like the one thing is like, no, we're, we're going to go do something. And maybe coffee, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe a coffee date. But uh, that's that's the one I try and make sure I do. Mm. Now, what is one just totally random fact about you that people don't know? Like for me, uh, I can hear dog whistles. Wow, it's impressive. Okay, right? Totally just randoms, like, but they they're actually like it's oh man twinge of my spine. I had someone blowing a dog whistle next to me once and they're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, stop blowing in that thing. You can't hear that. Oh yeah, no, I can. It hurts. Please stop. So just random facts. It's really interesting. Uh, yeah, well, I'm now stuck on dog whistles. I'll have to get off that for a sec. Uh, one, something that people don't know about me. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it's interesting. Because when you see lots of people, usually they know a lot about you. But uh, what they don't know, possibly people don't know that that I grew up for some of my life in Malaysia as a young lad. And we grew up without, a lot of the time we grew up without shoes. So I went to school without shoes. Or if they put shoes on, you took them all. And one day I was running through uh, like a little village just called Kampong. And... Um, I was running and I ran over glass, broken glass. Hmm. I didn't cut my feet. And so I, I used to go everywhere without shoes in Malaysia for about three years. And as much as I could anyway, because that's what she did. So that's something people don't know. They don't know uh, about my early my early life uh, necessarily. And uh, yeah, I can't hear dog whistles. But I used to be able to run over broken glass. I'm going to try that again. I don't know if it's going to go well. Because I'm not push my luck on that one. I'd, no, I don't think so. The, the outcome is like, not fun life. if you're wrong. Yeah, oh, I did. I ran over, ran over like literally all this like broken. I just ran <laughs> over it, and I remember thinking at the time, "Wow, that's cool." <laughs> oh, well, you're a kid. You keep running, right? It's like, oh, that yes, forever. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank cool. you for sharing. No worries. What is something that everybody should know about you before we dig into the meat of the show? Everyone should know about me. Well, I'm passionate about about helping people. You know, I'm passionate about helping people reach that that potential. And I developed behavioral profiles in order to do that, or intimate behavior profiles over years, in order to help people really identify their perfect and right person for them. So they weren't going out with you know, the same person with a different face, which is often what I get told, David. You know, the same person with a different face. Yes, that's your behavioral map. So, yeah, that, that's something I, I really think they should know that I am passionate about that. Passionate about helping people in relationship uh, to, to reach the potential that they want to reach, whatever that might be. It's really important to me. Okay. Now, guys, we've been getting to know David a little bit uh, in this first part of the show. In the next part of the show, we're going to dive into the stigma around men's mental health. Mm-hmm. We're going to roll to our sponsor, and we will be right back with more from David Milan. How well do you sleep at night? Do you toss and turn and wake up more tired than when you went to bed? Sleep is commonly one of the critical elements people fall short on in their life. The quality of sleep you get directly affects your ability to control your weight, your ability to add muscle, your stress levels, and your everyday job and life performance. If you're ready to move to the next level, then sleep has to be part of the plan. Check out our friends at ghostbed.com if you're ready to get your best sleep. I love my ghost bed. I've been sleeping on one for a couple of years and has made a huge difference in how I sleep. 
hit ghostbed.com and use the code thefallibleman30 to get 30% off your order and start getting better night's sleep tomorrow. Now, let's go on to the show. Guys, welcome back. In the first part of the show, we spent some time just getting to know David a little bit and seeing who he is and what he's about. In this part of the show, we're going to talk about the stigma around men's mental health. If you've been a longtime fan of the show, you know I try and bring on mental health professionals on a somewhat regular basis because this is something that I believe very passionately is not talked about in the society of men. We don't talk about men taking care of themselves. We certainly don't talk about their mental health. And it's a very prevalent issue, especially in the world of men. A lot of men struggle with mental health in one form or another. And it can look like, that's the scary thing, is it's not like one thing. It can look and manifest in so many different ways. And a lot of men don't even know they're struggling with depression or a number of other things. And so I like to have these conversations and, and David's going to share with us today as we go through this and help hopefully, you know, if one person hears this conversation and helps them move past that next hurdle, then that's, that's the greatest thing that can come out of the show is I love having this conversation because other people don't want to, and we need to be having this conversation guys. So David, how does the stigma surrounding men's mental health contribute to underreporting and a lack of people, especially men seeking help for mental health? I think that's that's from my experience. Uh, just to give you a very quick background, um, I do a lot of what we call on-site, on-call, rapid response, uh, crisis intervention. So I'm the lad that they put on a plane at short notice and fly out, say, to a mine site or, you know, to, to a place that's fairly remote uh, and, and mostly staffed by males. And the underreporting of mental health, I, I believe it's, it's really around often the role that, that a man believes or perceives that he has. And, you know, I'm, what, 56 years old? So technically my role that I was taught was to be a provider, a protector, a procreator. And in my life, and I'm very honest about my early life, I have early life childhood trauma. So in my life, my male role models weren't necessarily flash. So I learned early on that there's certain things that I do and I don't do. And one of those things that I was taught was, yeah, 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 keep it all inside. Suppression is depression. Just know that. There's a difference between feelings and emotion. Feelings are what you get in the body. Emotion is the energy and motion of the feeling. And that's the stuff that accumulates. When that accumulates, we've got to express that, that, that emotion. Now, often when we express that emotion, it might be a little too late because it might come out as aggression, for example. So if we, we, we're suppressing these things, then our nervous system starts to not go too well. We start to have not-so-flash thoughts, not having flash feelings. And often as men, we're not aware of what we're feeling anyway. I mean, I'm alexithymic, so technically, uh, you know, identifying a feeling for me, I've got a range of five that I know of and identifying a feeling for me is, is quite difficult. And as a survivor of trauma, complex childhood trauma, having awareness of my feelings was a really big thing when I started to, to, to learn how to do that. And so the, the stigma around mental health is often two part. A, we're, we're, not, we're not necessarily encouraged to express we're encouraged to do certain things but b also becoming aware of how we're actually feeling because nowadays in neuroscience it's all about the feels the physiology dictates the neurology in other words the body dictates how we experience the world because we're encoded from the top of the head to the soles of the feet so it's not just a head thing now often i have lads will come in to me and they say david i'm a logical man i don't believe in feelings I'm going to say, well, it's all about the feels, bro. It's all about the feels. Uh, oh, no, no, I wasn't taught that. 
I was taught that I had to do A, B, C, and D. That's cool. I get that. That's fine. Although, how's that working for you, bro? So, mental health has that component of what we were taught, what, what there's an expectation, a societal expectation. And that expectation has now changed. It's changed dramatically. Like, seriously, it's like, if, if, and I work in nature, okay, so I'm biologically correct and often not politically correct. Just know that. Mm-hmm. Please, if you are offended, uh, just talk to Brent about that. You know, he'll send you're on the wrong show if you're offended. We'll, 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 yeah, we'll have a few <laughs> discussions and probably won't go anywhere, but you know how it is. So at the end of the day, you know, we've got genetics, right? Now, genetics is slow evolution. You know, we've got this thing called epigenetics, and it's kind of fast evolution. And it's actually about incorporating the experiences of our ancestors. And it's more about the feelings, about the experiences, about things, and that's encoded into us. So we've got this very quick evolution that's going on at the moment where males are expected to level up emotionally. And literally, I call it leveling up. It's emotional evolution, let's. And that evolution is, is really noticed now much more than it was in the past. In the past, you know, I'm a soldier, I'm ex-military. Man, honestly, my lifespan would have been pretty short. Think about it, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, ex-military, very short lifespan, you know, good time, not a long time. So basically, I don't have to do much evolving, really. I've just got to do my function, whatever that is genetically. Yeah. Nowadays, our function is changing. Our identity is changing. So I have a couch in my office, as you do, and uh, lads will come in off the mines or whatever, and they'll say, David, you know, my divorce papers got slipped across the table this morning. I didn't know it was coming. I'm devastated. So I'm definitely having a feeling. It's not a pleasant feeling. It's in the body too, having this feeling. And they're having some thoughts. They're not pleasant either, trust me, because our rates of suicide are a lot higher. And a lot of that, that stuff may even be unreported. Yet. So... This poor lad sitting there, he's probably about 40-odd years old. Most of these men that, that, that are in this boat are about in their 40s. They, and I'll say, hey, buddy, uh, so just tell me a bit about the relationship. What, 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 have, you, what have you done? You know, what, what's been, what have you been doing? He goes, they'll all say, well, I went out and earned the dollars. I put a big rock on her finger, you know, a big diamond and fixed all the doors. Pretty good door fixer. And I've done all of these things. I've protected and I've provided. Awesome, and I procreated. I'm a pretty good dad too. I put the kids on the PlayStation, you know, and I watched them, watched them play. Uh, connected parenting, where, where, where is that one? Yeah, that's cool. And I talk like this in my office. Honestly, this is how I am. What you're seeing now is what you get in my office. This is how I am. So I was like, okay, that's cool. Uh, what about, uh, did you meet her emotional needs by any chance? And this is no word of a lie. They look at me and they go, what are they? And I go, bro. She was rowing away in the life raft a year ago or two years ago while you're arranging deck chairs on the Titanic of your relationship. So let's, let's change that. Let's make some changes because we are capable. We are capable of adaption. We're really good at that. Humans are good at that. So we can adapt to this environment, this new environment, this new identities that we are now expected to have. And I'm going to say this. She doesn't need you. She can do everything. She doesn't need us anymore. I know know it's hard to hear. But, hey, she can do all the things we can do. So what is our role? What does our role become? You know, in the old days, you know, I might have done A, B, C, and D. And that was necessary because society was, was, was doing, you know, was expecting that. But nowadays society says, you know what, everyone can do everything. And... If we are not catching up with that process, we can become what I call obsolete. I mean, this poor lad sitting there saying, well, David, I'm becoming extinct. Why is that? Well, it's not because you're not a good lad. It's not because you didn't try. It's because things are moving very rapidly. And to catch up with that, to stay in that old groove of that record. I was a DJ once, you know, nightclub DJ. And you got these records, vinyl, those old plasticky things. You put the needle on and it goes around and around and around and gets to the end of the, end of the you know, the, 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 the LP. And if we stay in the same groove, doing the same thing on the same day, expecting a different result, we ain't going to make it. So now it's about getting in touch with the feels. 
about getting in touch with who we really are inside. Who's the deepest part of who you truly are? Who's asked you that lately? Hey, bro, tell me about the deepest part of who you truly are. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a minor. That's cool, but is that the deepest part of who you truly are? Who are you? Look inside. Let's do it. Let's do some drills, some, some state change drills. Let's do some stuff. Let's get in there and have a look. And getting down to that core, that core identity and building from that core identity. You know, we build from the core identity. Now, our cores were created when we were young. Between the age of zero, three, guys, you were a blank slate. Hate to tell you, you had 60% roughly genetics that's, that's pre-encoded, yeah? So this is another real shock. Your earliest identity is not your own, man. Your earliest identity is what is installed into you by others. In other words, I call it core impressions. The impressions that your nervous system got about how people thought of you, how they experienced you. So if they're having a bad relationship, mum and dad aren't doing too well, guess what? You're absorbing that and you're making that about you. That's really weird, right? We literally absorb all that stuff. There's no such thing as arguing. Oh, I don't argue in front of the kids. We go into a separate room. Guess what, sunshine? They still <laughs> pick it up energetically. So, and they know because they got Thank these nervous that are wired for safety, right? So at the end of the day, that early identity we take on as our own identity is called a default mode setting. And literally, we, re we revert back to that early identity when we get distressed. So that's why we kind of find when we're regulated emotionally, we're going along okay, and then something happens, and suddenly we find we're a five-year-old. And rather than talking to our, our, our wife, we're talking to our mum, because there's things we probably should have told her. But we're telling our wife that she suddenly become that. It's called emotional refraction. Look up Dr. Paul Ekman. You'll see it, right? And literally, we, we have to start to evolve past that. So these early identities, we have to start to become encoded in our new identities. And to do that, it takes getting in touch with, with the feelings, getting in touch with not that they're doing it to us, but, but really we're feeling that because we've got this old program running. I look at everything in computer terminology, actually. So you've got this old encoded program running. It's like Microsoft DOS. Sorry if I offended you, Microsoft. I think Bill will be okay with that, right? Because we are plugging you, Bill. It's cool. So at the end of the day, we've got this DOS program running, and now we're expected to be running the latest Windows 11 or the Apple Mac, whatever, or Linux. I forget about that. But at the end of the day, we're meant to be running new programs and we're trying to install these things really quick and our poor old operating system's a bit slow. So what we want to be doing is we want to be upgrading that operating system. We've got to get that latest update and that latest update is about the fields and really understanding who we are as men. What are you thinking, Brent? Oh, no, I, I, I got hung up on uh, translating. So for our audience, because... I, I have, as a podcaster, one of the, I love talking to people, right? It's one of my favorite things about this job. And I've gotten to work with you and a lot of your native countrymen over the last couple of years. Uh, also grew up with some friends who had moved over from Australia. There, there are some light, slight language barriers. So for our audience, explain Flash. Flash? Yeah, oh, y'all use the term, not, use not the, the term flash, flash that's on the television show. <laughs> right. Okay. And I, I understand what you're saying, but I'm like, oh, someone's going to be like, what is, I don't think that means what he thinks it does. <laughs> that, that's great. That's meaning, definitely. Yes, we do have ascribed different meanings to different things because meaning is what creates our world. Yeah. Language mm -hmm. creates meaning. Flash means good. So it's not so flash means it's not so good. I mean, if I'm if I'm if I'm if I'm stuck in my own way of seeing the world, tunnel vision, and I think what I'm doing is what I'm supposed to be doing, then there's no reason I'm going to challenge that until someone else challenges it, either verbally, and if they challenge it verbally, and I I I, I, I shut down or I, you know, I I I don't respond in a way that perhaps they need me to respond, it's not so good. And that's not so flash because at that point there, there's, there's got to be some, some change. And, and the reality is that we take everything personally. Don't ever think that we don't. The unconscious part of our nervous system, which has no filters, 
it takes everything personally because when we were little, everything was about us because whatever was happening external to us was being, we were absorbing that. So it was about us. So in reality, everything is actually about you. So, you know, we're all the biggest narcissists in the world because it is all about us and it's all about everybody. And so if I'm doing that behavior, that's the same behavior, it's not so flash. It's not so good because the other person is experiencing that in probably not the best way. I'm going to call it unpleasant. And eventually they're going to say, you know what, sunshine? Uh, I'm not doing this anymore. And there's these barriers, these emotional walls that are created in our nervous system. And our nervous system is just encoded from the top of the head to the soles of the feet. So the whole body is the nervous system. Think about Dr. Vanderkolk, the body holds the score. The whole body is the nervous system. And so therefore, anything under your awareness is what I'm going to call your nervous system, unconscious. You're not aware of it. It's operating automatically. And if I'm in that autopilot and I stay in that autopilot and my feelings are my nervous system's way of telling me there's something to look at, either it's good, pleasure, or bad pain, that's it. So if it's painful, yet I'm not noticing that, it's not so flash. Because the feeling helps me make the changes that are necessary to evolve, right? So that's why it's so important to recognize your feelings because that's nature's way of saying, hey, evolution is necessary here. We either evolve or we become extinct. Now, if I stay on the same not-so-flash pathway, there's a chance that extinction isn't going to look like you're going to die, although in some cases it can because a broken heart can actually kind of like kill you. Extinction is going to look like the you're going to lose something that's important to you, i.e. your relationship, your kids, your job. Things that are really, you know, you kind of make your identity out of. It's, you don't say, when, when, when I say, hey, what do you do for a living? You don't say, I do lawyering, or I do doctoring, or I do mechanicing. You say, I am. I am a lawyer, I'm a mechanic, I'm a doctor. These are identity statements. So clearly the identity is connected to your work in that point. I am a father. Wow, identity is connected to that. I am a husband. You know, these are identity statements, meaning that your identity is created also out of that occupation or that role. Now, that's what's important because if that role changes, your identity changes. Men are more likely to take a, a redundancy or a, a sacking way worse than ladies. Often when I speak to my ladies, they say, hey, and they go, oh, I lost my job. Oh, well, that's terrible. I'll get another one. My lad's sitting there and it's the end of the world. He's lost his job. He's lost his identity. Well, part of it. So he's not feeling very flash or good. And therefore, we have to start looking at, okay, how do we change that feeling state and then that cognitive state? So that's the longest answer to flash I've ever given. <laughs> people, people underestimate the power of the I am statements. Uh, one of my first interviews, I was talking to a guy and he asked me a question. I said, oh, no, I'm great in the moment. And he's like, that's the best answer ever. So that statement right there, I am great in the moment. I actually made a t-shirt. One of my first t-shirt designs was I'm great in the moment, mm. right? I'm not, I'm not huge into mantras, but that became, mm. I remember the first time as I was making the break from working in the IT sector into podcasting, right? I've been working a computer job and was doing this on the side. And the first time somebody asked me like, oh, what do you do for a living? And without thinking, right, I was like signing a receipt or something. I was like, oh, I'm a podcaster. And like for half a minute, like my heart pawed in my throat because I realized that I just said out loud for the first time, instead of going, oh, I'm an IT guy. I went, I'm a podcaster. I wasn't making any money. I was still working a full-time job, 40 or 50 hours a week. But I caught that statement coming out of my own mouth and went, wait, we just redefined my identity how i feel about you did yeah who i am and i think we underestimate that often david let me ask you this question right 
times keep changing and mm. there is a but there's a lot of say one thing do one thing mm. in the world right we tell men all the time you need to get more in touch with the fills you need to connect more be more emotional and more vulnerable right mm. and that's what we hear from a lot of women who are you know push the toxic masculinity concept that's what we hear from uh, a lot of like the younger generation of like zennials and stuff came up. It's like, oh man, it's all you know. You got to be vulnerable. You got to be in touch with your. And for some of us, you know, I'm I'm 43. That's like, yeah, okay, sure. Mm, I get it. I get it. Right. We get this mixed messaging because we say this on one hand and say we want men to be more emotional. We want men to be more vulnerable. You need to be in touch with your feelings. But then we reinforce the old stereotype mm. and stigma yep. of yep. bottle up, suck it up, be a man. Yep. Yep. Right? How, how is that complicating the situation of mental health? <laughs> Hugely. <laughs> because really what you've got is a great paradox for blokes. You've got the old way and the emerging new way. So what I'm going to say is that that word vulnerability, let's kick it out. Let's get rid of that word. I don't use vulnerability because we ain't vulnerable, right? Vulnerability is a weakness, technically. You've got 17 emotional drivers or 17 human weaknesses. Have a look at Dr. Chase Hughes' stuff about human weaknesses. Bottom line is that we're not vulnerable. Emotional feelings helps us be resilient. That's how it works. The more pain I feel, the more resilient I become. Anyone will tell you someone has post-traumatic stress as opposed to post-traumatic growth. How did they get to post-traumatic growth? They became resilient to the feeling, the painful feeling, rather than going, uh, 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 and that, that if we're just listening, I was just drinking alcohol, taking drugs, and generally eating food, right? If you're seeing me, you might, you might notice that. Rather than killing the pain or artificially regulating the feeling, what we have to do is feel how we feel. You've got to feel it to heal it. So you've got to do three things, right? You've got to name it to tame it. You've got to notice it. You've got to go, you know what? There's a feeling of anxiety in my body right now. I'm not anxious. It's a feeling of anxiety. You separate the feeling from you because you're not a vulnerable person. You're a strong person. You weren't born vulnerable, technically. You were born as a package. And that package is developing and adding bits and pieces to it. So at the end of the day, it's like a Meccano set, I suppose, for us older lads. At the end of the day, we've got to get rid of this concept of vulnerability. Feelings make you strong. Grr. The Russians will tell you that with red gold. Yeah, Feelings, that's a book. Feelings make you stronger. So the more that I can feel it, the more that I can heal it, as long as it's not overwhelming. That's the, that's the tipping point, right? So people are saying, okay, I've got to be more emotional. We well, can't be more emotional. You're as emotional as you are. You know, you feel what you feel. You can't be more than that. What we have to do it's, it's a choice. It's a challenge. What I like people to do is get in touch with what's in there already. Just notice it. And when you're feeling pain, the same part of the brain that processes physical pain processes emotional pain. So technically, when we're in emotional pain, we're actually kind of in physical pain. And so the nervous system's saying, hey, we've got an issue, Will Robinson. You know, danger, danger, Will Robinson. There's a problem right now. Houston, we've got a problem, right? And we're going, oh, my God, let's shut down the receiver. Let's turn off all the machines and just pretend it's not there. <laughs> That's cool because the nervous system goes, okay, if you're not going to deal with it today, guess what? I'm going to accumulate it. I'm going to suppress it. I'm going to put it somewhere so that later on you can do it. It's called processing. We're a system. It's an in-out in, in kind of system, yeah? Input in, input out. So technically, there's sensory data going in. It triggers something in the system. There's a future prediction that it's going to happen. It's actually called an error code, not going there. It's a long story. 
And literally now the system alerts you with a feeling that there's something to look at. So a feeling really just says, hey, I'm something to look at. It's what we do with a feeling that's important. Is it not? So I can either look at that feeling and go, okay, this is a feeling of pain. Pain tells me that there's something that I've got to change. So therefore, I'm going to acknowledge that feeling. When you acknowledge feelings, guess what? They go away. Yeah, it's cool. So if we acknowledge the feeling and feelings change, they're states, they're literal states. So when I do some state change drills with someone to make them really happy, I go, wow, I really feel happy. I'll suddenly go now be sad. And I guarantee you 100% of the time they cannot just be sad because a feeling is a state. You can only have one feeling at a time. If you slowed it down, just like a film, you know, the old film, 27 frames a second, I think. So you've got one frame, two frames, and you move it quickly. It makes a motion picture. Now imagine a feeling as one frame. So that's my happy frame. And slowly that frame becomes my sad frame. Now I can change that again by putting in a happy frame. Unfortunately, things go so quickly that we, we feel that, that, that it's always that way. So, you know, if I'm sad, I can't be happy. The bottom line is it's going to take time, approximately 7 to 15 minutes, roughly, for that feeling to change normally. And it always changes. This too will pass. So identifying the feeling is really critical. Once we know the feeling, we feel it to heal it. We acknowledge it. We don't get involved in that because it's just a feeling. We acknowledge it. Now, when we acknowledge that feeling, like physical pain, if you stub your toe right now, you go, ouch, you probably swear like I do. And I swear a lot normally. It's just a fact. So I stub my toe and I swear, ouch, releases some of the tension. Neurologically, it actually helps with pain relief. I swear. I look at my toe. It's not broken and it's not bleeding. So guess what? I'm going to ignore it. Now, isn't it interesting that when we get an emotional feeling, we don't ignore it, we wallow in it. Oh, my God, I'm, oh my God, I'm feeling this terrible feeling. I'm going to focus on that and I'm going to try and think it away. Well, I'm going to tell you a fact. You can't problem solve logically an emotion, a feeling. Feelings cannot be logically fixed. They have to be felt because they are part of a system. And this system is just, it's a signal. So we have to feel it and then work out what we're going to do about it. And so this is what it's about. It's about get vulnerability doesn't really exist because feelings don't make us vulnerable. They make us stronger. If we go through that process, this is my process from my stuff. We first of all, we name it to tame it, which is Dr. Daniel Siegel. Actually, I got that off him. Thanks, Dr. Dan. Second one is we've got to feel it to heal it to reveal it. That's Dr. Schneider. And the third one I put this one in is rewire to recover. So every time that we feel that feeling, we gain a bit of resilience. It's called a window of tolerance. You can look it up online. You'll see it in all the trauma literature. A window of tolerance. And every time we feel that feeling and acknowledge that feeling, we grow more tolerant, like physical pain. So if I keep stubbing my toe, eventually I'm going to get a big callus there and I'm not going to feel it, right? Well, it's the same with emotional pain. The more that I feel it and I become resilient to it, the less impact it has. The less impact it has, the more tolerance I've got and the more resilience I've got so I can take on greater tasks. Now, if we do the opposite, we artificially regulate the feeling, like technically take the painkiller, because all things that make you feel better are technically painkillers. So I do a lot of dating work and I take lads out and I show them how to connect with people in a good way. And when they're socially anxious, as with very socially anxious males, first thing we get to, it's not a bar, we get to that place and they will want to talk to somebody. It can be anybody and I want to have a chat, but they're really super nervous. So they have basically having a panic attack in some way. So as soon as they feel the feeling of fear, where do they want to go? They want to go straight to the not a bar, to the bar. And they want to grab the artificial regulator of emotion called tequila. But it's not alcohol. Okay, it's not. All right. So they grab the, they want to grab this thing and they want to 
get it into the system because the system says as soon as we feel pain, we kill it, we extinguish it, we get rid of it. What's the quickest way to do that? Well, these things are very powerful regulators. Now, alcohol is actually an anesthetic, technically. Look at the old guys, you know, they use it as an anesthetic. It's very good at that. Unfortunately, I've done a lot of FASD work. I was a presenter in fetal alcohol syndrome, and it kind of really does dissolve stuff. It's really not good for you. So at the end of the day, they want to kill that pain immediately. Now, the thing is, when they kill the pain immediately, they get what we call a correction code in their brain. In other words, they get some kind of thing that says, hey, you dealt with the feeling, but you didn't deal with the anxiety. <laughs> the anxiety is a future prediction that I'm going to get rejected or I'm going to get judged. So that's not dealt with by using the regulator. Now, in the first instance, the brain is tricked. The body is tricked into thinking that it's fixed. So therefore, we feel better. And that's not a good thing. So it's a good thing if we, we sit in that anxiety, we do some grounding drills, which helps us get back in the body. We get back in the body. And then the, all they've got to do is get their little feet and go like that and walk up to that person and say, hello, whatever. Now, it's in that point that they've built the tolerance because they've leaned into the pain. They've pushed themselves through the pain. Now, when you push yourself through that pain and you're not overwhelmed, that emotional feeling, how are you going to feel at the end of that? Well, the lad will come back and I'll go, how did you do? How did you go of your conversation? And he'll go, first thing, often he'll say, oh, it was terrible. Right? And I go, isn't it interesting that you were feeling this anxiety, you didn't go to the Nodder bar and grab the Nodder tequila. And you literally pushed yourself through that, that fear and you got there. Have you done that before? No. Is that a win? Yes. How do you feel about that? I feel awesome. Exactly. Because although you haven't noticed all the little things that are going on, those little wins are huge because what you're doing is you're programming your nervous system to manage that feeling. Now, the more you do that, it's a numbers game. The more you do it, called myelination literally you're just adding layers of glial cells to your, to your to your neural pathways the more you do it the better you get there's no such thing as confidence guys there's only doing that thing over and over and over and over again to get good at it so it's no different with your feelings you've got to do it over and over and over again be have tolerance acknowledgement tolerance move through it and then you get good at it it's just like playing the guitar yeah how many times does it take to become a Jimi hendrix well a lot how many times does it take to become emotionally regulated? Guess what? A lot. So that's really, really important is getting through that process. That's what gets rid of this concept of vulnerability because when you've got confidence, how can you be vulnerable? I can't be anxious if I'm confident. Those two states don't exist together. It's either anxious or confident. And to be confident, I've got to move through that feeling. I've got to acknowledge it, move through the feeling, do that thing that's painful cognitively and emotionally. And then once I've done that more times, probably a hundred or more, I'm going to start to feel better. And I'm going to go, wow, that wasn't a problem. And it's the same with everything. So this juxtaposition, because I haven't forgot your first question, Brent, this juxtaposition between what we're expected to be genetically, biologically, and in, 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 an old, in the old way, and what we need to be in a new way is not about feeling more. It's not about being an emotional mess. It's not about all of that. It's about feeling, getting in touch with what's actually inside us, acknowledging that, and becoming more emotionally regulated. Because when we're more emotionally regulated, we can use more real estate up here in our logical thinking mind to solve more problems. When we're not regulated, we go back to our childhood learning. And so if, you know, if I'm looking at my wife, for example, and she looks angry and that's triggering my childhood stuff, which it will, let's face it, rather than saying, hey, babe, I've noticed you're looking a little bit upset right now. Would you like a cup of tea? Rather than saying that, I go, oh, what have I done wrong this time? Because I'm not emotionally regulated and I'm triggered. And so now I'm in my, my young brain, I call it my five-year-old brain, where, where I don't have those filters. 
or I don't have that 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 prefrontal functioning to be able to to, to notice that, realize that's not mum, that's my wife, and regulate those feelings. Now, how do I get there? I gotta practice. You know, I gotta actually practice the skill. It's a skill. I've got to keep doing it until I succeed at being more regulated. If I just go to the therapist and go, oh, yeah, I want, to, I want to be a better person. Yeah, that's cool. You've got to do A, B, C, and D. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I want you to fix it. I want you to fix me. I want you to wave a magic wand, take a magic pill, artificial regulator, why not, and fix it. Well, it ain't going to work that way. Every time you have a failure, you're actually moving forward because there's no such thing as failure either. Failure is when you totally give up. Now, most people, most blokes, they don't totally give up. I mean, when you're on a job site and you muck it up and your boss comes up and gets pretty technical term upset with you, I'd usually use the S word. I don't know how friendly our show is. <laughs> you're going to go, you know what? Well, self-esteem lowers a little bit. You know, this happens, that happens, get a bit angry. Maybe dad wasn't such a great bloke. But you know what? I'm going to fix that and I'm going to make a good job of it. And you'll do that. Why not do it with your relationship? It's the same thing. It's no difference. So at the end of the day, when we get challenged with a feeling, why not level up? Why not go, you know what? I'm going to tolerate that feeling, feel that feeling, and I'm going to work out how do I approach this differently? And I've got to do that a thousand times maybe to, to really start to do it better because we don't clear the frontal real estate up without having a, a, a fair amount of emotional regulation. What is emotional regulation? It's really being able to manage that feeling. Feelings are, are, are signals, so they have to be managed like anything. They're, they're not something you fix. You don't fix feelings. My God, <laughs> you manage them. You don't, you don't get over stuff technically. People come and go, oh, David, the people tell me to get over it. And I say, well, that's not true. You don't get over things. You learn to manage them. This, this nervous system doesn't forget nothing. It's the biggest hoarder in the universe. It hoards everything. It remembers everything unless you've actually got physical injury that, that makes you forget. Believe it or not, you remember everything. It's stored in your whole system, in your unconscious and subconscious regions. Unconscious is like a big warehouse where everything gets stored neurologically in sensory data. And the subconscious is the patterns and habits of behavior that, 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 that activate. They're like programs, it's like a computer. You've got the CMOS and then your basic operating system. And then you've got your, your, your operating system. You've got a huge hard drive, i.e. body hard drive, right? Operating system, conscious mind. But then you've got all these programs running underneath to make this podcast work. It's pride on how many you're technical dudes, yeah? I don't know. Let's say there's a thousand programs running underneath to make this podcast work. Well, that's your subconscious. That's all your habits of thought, feeling, and behavior that are all under the surface. They're just constantly running. And then suddenly there's a trigger, bang, and it goes, oh, select that habit. Select that response. And up it comes, and out here it comes, out of the mouth. And when it comes out of the mouth, we know what's going on inside the system. And it's not pleasant, normally, unless you're making a cup of tea for your, your missus. Missus means wife. Yeah, and that's yeah, our yeah. Australian lingo. We are very colloquial. <laughs> yeah, and we, everything's got to kind of, yeah, we stretch it all out. So at the end of the day, if I allow that automatic programming to keep running my life, I'm going to end up in that place where I'm looking at, 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 at the social media and everyone's being more emo and I'm going, my God, I'm not really fitting in. Well, it's probably because my old habits and patterns are running my life. Now, that might be vulnerability. Why not change that? Let's change old habits and patterns of thought, feeling, and behavior and let's move towards making some different habits. How do we make different habits? We practice them. And so we can do this. We don't have to be more of anything. We don't have to be greater at anything. We just have to be better at what we do now. And all that's happened is awareness with science. Awareness has changed, okay? Really, it's science. Let's blame science. It's great. Best scapegoat ever, science, yeah? So let's say that nowadays with an fMRI scan, I can see in real time how aggression affects my kid. In their neurology, I go, oh, my God, you should have seen it when we first saw this stuff. 
all that parenting stuff we used to talk about because I was one of those guys, a behavioral guy that, you know, we sit down, we do this, we do that, rah, 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 and suddenly we get these pictures of how a kid reacts to our old style of doing things. And we go, oh, my God, we're damaging our kid. Therapists like me were literally like, like that question you asked me where I couldn't answer it. Mm-hmm. That's how it was, was when I first saw that that science. I'm like, oh, golly. For the last 10 years or so, I've been teaching the wrong thing. Uh-oh. <laughs> now I've got to teach the right thing because this science is telling me that. But not only that, I've got to do it myself. I've got to repair the relationship with my own kid or kids. So this is what it's about. It's about taking on the challenge. It's not a problem. It's just a challenge. Taking on the challenge of evolving with this new information that helps us recognize better what's going on inside us so that we can be better people. Because we do have a role, and our role is actually never going to change in genetics. Hate to tell you, genetics isn't going to, we still are protectors, we still are providers. Who are fighting wars right now in some countries overseas? Not going there, I'm Polish, right? But at the end of the day, on the front lines, that's who's fighting these wars, right? So at the end of the day, we still have roles in things. You know, We still have things we're really, really good at. We're good at everything. And so is everybody else. But we still have things we do well. And we can make those roles better by understanding more about ourselves. We can be, when you're emotionally regulated, man, you can think straight. To think straight, we need to manage the feelings, not to suppress them, not to get rid of them, but to manage them and not become more emotional, but manage what we've got in there. Like I said, I've only got five feelings that I recognize generally happy. Actually, that's not really one. That's just come on recently. So probably sad, depressed, angry and anxious and confused. That was my range of feelings. Honestly, I'm on lexicon, honestly. So I wouldn't even know when I was feeling what I was feeling. My wife would say, hey, David, you're angry. I'm going, what? I'm not angry. Yeah, yeah. How do you know that? Well, I can see it. I can read it. I can feel it. And later on, I'm going to blow up and be like, wow, I must have been angry. But it's kind of after the fact because now you've got to repair that. So it took me, and I do everything I teach you, I do myself. It took me ages to recognize what was inside. And be able to go, you know what? Ooh, there's a feeling of anger in the body right now. Best be regulating that puppy because it's only going to lead to something down the track that I don't want. And that's what all self-awareness does for us. It enables us to, to get inside. So, yes, everything that's going on today is definitely confusing and it's difficult, although we can rise to the challenge. We're males, after all. We rise to the challenge, right? We rise a lot. Roll a lot. So we are rising to the challenge, yeah. And we are becoming more aware. With more awareness, we have more choice. With more choice, we can be what we want to be because awareness gives us choice. If you're not aware, you're going to go, oh, you made me angry. Well, actually, no, they didn't. Your emotional regulation, your old habits and all that lot, that's what created that problem. So let's become more aware. Let's rise to the choice and let's be the men we're meant to be. All right, Brian, I think that's a plenty explanation. David, where is the best place for people to find you? Uh, on our website, mymalarm.com.au. Just connect to our website. But that'll be fine. Um, and you'll get you'll usually get Deb. And uh, she she will organize anything that you really need for us to do. We do a lot of things uh, remotely. So there's no problem. Uh, distance is no issue. We, we can do all of that. And of course, we'll have all of David's links in the show note, in the description, whether you're on YouTube or listening on the podcast, we'll have every way so you can connect with David and dig in even more. David's got a lot of great information, guys. And it's a big, brave world these days. You can reach anybody. It's awesome. I love the fact that we can reach across the pond this way. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So if, if David says something and is resonating with you, you know what? It doesn't matter if you live in the U.S. or in Europe or in Australia. You can connect with David, which is one of the most awesome things about technology these days. David, what is, oh, silly question, right? What animal has the longest tongue in relationship to his body? You guessed hummingbird. 
The answer is chameleon. Really? Chameleon. I never would have guessed that. The longest tongue in relationship to its body length. David, what is the last thing you want people to hear today before we wrap this up? Last thing I want to hear, I want to want to say today is that there's always hope. You know, a lot of times I hear that there's no hope because we, when we when we get distressed, we kind of get we get tunnel vision, we get stuck in a rut, and that's fair. We get stuck in a rut. There is always hope, and that, that's all, all I want to say. There's always something we can learn, something we can do, someone we can connect with, or not that can give us the next piece of that puzzle and it's a big jigsaw you know it's a huge jigsaw there's a lot of stuff going on in the world today it's very quick paced and sometimes we feel like we're being left behind i know i've definitely felt like that it was only when i was driving down the highway and i realized oh my golly it's actually about me and i need to work on me this is quite a few years ago that i that i started to realize that i had to make steps to change things before that i just you know that's, like, that's you it's you it's you it's this it's my work it's whatever so there's always hope there's always someone out there that has another piece of that puzzle yeah and rather than doing unpleasant things reach out to anyone it doesn't have to be me it can be brent reach out have a yarn literally just have a yarn you'd be surprised what will happen okay that's it guys the behaviorist david milan Perth, Australia, check out what David's got going on. Connect with somebody. And if you are struggling or you feel like you're struggling, if you by the time you actually feel like you're struggling, you already are. Okay. By the time you realize that feeling and acknowledge that feeling, you already probably need to get some help. Okay. There's nothing that's emasculating about it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's okay to ask for help. That's one of the reasons we have the Fallible Nation community. That's one of the reasons that David works with men every day. We are meant to be pack animals or tribe people. We're made to be stronger together. So please, if you are struggling, seek tribe, seek family, seek help, and don't think you have to go through it alone. See how many times I can hit my mic here. For the Fallible Man podcast, be better tomorrow because of what you do today. And we'll see you on the next one. This has been the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for everything man, husband, and father. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a show. Head over to www.thefallibleman.com for more content and get your own Fallible Man gear.